0: Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I am your host, Jeremy Pinch, and we are going to continue our historical profiles series this morning with one of our elders, Rick Lyon. Rick, how are you doing?
1: Good. Good to be with you again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good to have you back. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about somebody who's had an impact on your life and uh, the life of the church. Um, a name that's probably not the easiest to pronounce, but one that is well known. And that is uh, Adoniram Judson.
1: You said it correctly. Uh, I got it right. You got got it right. right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So why has he left an impact on your life?
1: Well, some years ago, um, when I was a in ministry, young minist- uh, young youth guy in Southern California, uh, I would get together with another group of guys and we would read different books and discuss them, uh, theological books, church history kind of books, and every once in a while we'd pepper in a biography of someone, and we read a short biography at that time of Adoniram Judson. And ever since then, um, just the, the impact of what he did, what he stood for, and how he did it, has has just made a kind of a undercurrent impact in my life. Just as far as someone I would want to emulate or support um, or to put before people as an example to follow. So um, even these, you know, he's an old dead guy, but to this day, the ripple effects of his ministry um, are impacting people's lives mm. in this world. So pretty cool story. Mm.
0: Yeah, so what uh, what did Adoniram Judson do? What was what was his ministry for those who who don't know?
1: The 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 basic just the overall gist of his life, he left the he was the first American foreign missionary. So in other words, he was the first missionary as far as we can tell that Americans sent overseas to mm-hmm. take the gospel somewhere. Um, 18 he left in 1812, arrived in what was then Burma, which is now, if you look at a map today, it's Myanmar. So if you look at a map, find India, and then just go a little bit of east of that, it'll run into Myanmar. Okay. Um, and uh, so he went, um, he'd heard about this people group, the Burmese people, where there was no gospel presence at all, um, but yet were feared to be uh, a violent and, I mean, extremely godless culture uh, dangerous to a go-to, but he felt the call. And so he went, spent uh, 37 years of his life with one break mm-hmm. uh, after 33 years mm-hmm. <laughs> to come back to the United States uh, with a sick spouse. Um, but other, otherwise, spent 37 years there, and the impact of his ministry um, to this day, it's estimated there's about 3,700 congregations Evangelical Christian congregations among the Burmese people, okay. um, representing over two million wow. uh, people who are following Christ, wow. maybe more. You know, but uh, um, of course, he didn't live to see the fruit of all that. But the, like I said, the ripple effects of his ministry going forward, God is used to really transform much of a culture yeah. um, to this day. So that's the overall idea of of what it is that he did.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what? Uh, looking at his life, what are some things that you learned from his strengths and some of the weaknesses?
1: Yeah, and they're and both are evident, uh, pretty clearly as, as you read any kind of biography. Which I would mention, by the way, um, there's many biographies about Adoniram Judson. He was a fairly famous guy. You mentioned his name, Adoniram, uh being hard to say or unusual name. But he became actually famous in the mid-1800s, and the name Adoniram um, in that time became a, somewhat of a popular name for parents to name their children huh. um, after this great missionary uh, pioneer, Adoniram Judson. So uh, we've lost a little bit of that. I'm thinking maybe your next well, boy yeah, needs to Well, yeah, I be... mean,
0: if you're looking for a new name, <laughs> I mean, Adoniram, or an old new name. An old new name, yeah. Adoniram yeah. Judson. <laughs> it's coming back
1: around, so... <laughs> Um, I guess I wanted to start just by um, I, I was thinking of a scripture that was a motivation for Adoniram Judson. It's found in Romans ten fourteen. Actually, we'll start one verse earlier in ten thirteen of Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then it continues. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? Mm-hmm. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! So, Adoniram, uh, in you know later in his teenage years, felt this call to to go and to preach, and was convicted that these people were languishing in the world without a, without a knowledge of the presence uh, of the gospel or what Christ has done um, to satisfy the wrath that was due all of those people. Mm. And he felt compelled to go and to preach, to take this good news to them, willing to count the cost, which was extensive in his life, um, but yet to be obedient to the call of God to say, these people have not heard, someone needs to go. Why not me? Mm-hmm. And so, so he did. But you, you talked about the his strengths and his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, the one of his strengths was an incredible mind. Some say he was one of the the greatest minds the United States has ever produced. Huh. He was a brilliant okay. uh, academic. I mean, he was reading at the age of three. It was re- you know, according to his mother, um, he was reading. At the age of three. By the age of 12, some reports say he was teaching in the Congregationalist Church in the Northeast United States adult Bible studies from the original biblical languages at the age of 12, teaching adults. Um, At the age of 16, he went to Brown University, uh, where he was there for four, you know, about four years or so. Um, But it was there that something interesting happened, a transformative event took place in his life over the course of that time. He was roommates with a guy named Jacob Eames um, at at Brown University. Jacob Eames was a deist. He believed in the presence of a God, but not one that you're really accountable to or is involved in life at all. Uh, essentially, practical atheism. I mean, he's there, but has no impact on my life. Yeah. And through this relationship, um, Adoniram began questioning his own faith, really doubting his own faith, and really got to a point where he had abandoned his faith hmm. during his during those years at, at Brown University. And he didn't really think much of it. He thought his goal was to go to New York and write for the theater. Hmm. Uh, he was going to be a writer. Um, and in fact, when he was 20 years old, he was on his way to New York. Um, to He'd announced to his parents he was going to do this. He was on his way to New York on, on horseback, and he stopped at an inn overnight because he was wiped out. And while he was there at that inn, he could hear in a room close to him, a man like racked in pain, crying out, cursing God, cursing others, cursing his situation and and agonizing in pain. And all night he wrestled to try to sleep at all. Yeah. And at some point he did, he passed out and fell asleep. The next morning he when he was leaving, he stopped by the innkeeper and he said, I overheard all this wailing and sounded like someone was in real distress. And he goes, yeah, in fact, that was a man who was was dying and, in fact, did actually end up dying last night. (laughs) And it impacted uh, Judson, and he said, wow, it was horrible. Can I ask who it was? And he says, the man's name was Jacob Eames, who he had not seen (laughs) for some period of time. (laughs) And it struck Judson the brevity of life. Wow and that it could all end, and that he was a—he would be accountable to God yeah. for his life. All the things that he had known from a childhood regarding the Lord and regarding God's Word had come back to impact him again when he was encountered with the death of his friend, even unknowns to himself that that's yeah. what was happening. And so anyway, God used that ultimately to to get his attention, draw him back to believe the gospel, yeah. and then to want to share that good news with yeah. others before they met the fate of his friend, Jacob Beam. So yeah. you could see God's providence working. Yes yeah, seriously, even in, wow. That is an <laughs> amazing situations. story, wow. Yeah, not made up. Um, every biography about him outlines that same yeah. story. is pretty, pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So, he, at, so then at about the age of 20, um, he petitioned the church... to to form a missionary board, essentially, to an association that would send him um, overseas. And and I'm not exactly sure uh, why Burma, per se, other than he had heard about them, Mm -hmm. um, probably from William Carey, who was a missionary in India at the time. Uh, But at any rate, God put on his heart to go to Burma. And he knew it was dangerous. He knew it was probably going to cost his whole life. You know, at some point, but um that's where he wanted to go. And so they gained support um and uh finances to to go and to be sent. Mm-hmm. And uh and it was in 1812 that he set out um with his first wife, right. Ann Hazelty. Now I need to pause here and tell one of my favorite aspects of all of his story. Um he met this gal at a missionary event, yeah. a support event. He fell in love almost immediately, and within a month he had asked her if she would consider marrying him and going overseas to Burma. Yeah, she said, "Well, you need to ask my dad." And so that's where one of the most amazing letters you'll ever <laughs> hear uh, came from the pen of Adam Aram Judson to Anne Hazeltine's dad, yeah. asking for permission to marry her now i don't I don't know about if you asked your wife's father for, for for permission before you guys got married. I did. But
0: uh, not, what he's, <laughs> not what he's about to do. Not what he's about to do. Yeah. I went
1: to I went to Amy's dad and said, Hey, uh, I really love your daughter. Can I marry her? And he's yeah. like, Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. That was about the extent of our yeah. conversation. Yeah. This is a little different. So this is a letter that uh he wrote to his first wife's uh and I do say first wife because I'll explain that in a little while. Yeah. Um but Here's the letter asking for Anne's hand in marriage. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more (laughs) in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insults, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory Mm. with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her savior from heathens saved through her means free from eternal woe and despair. Mm. That's (laughs) your daughter. If you send her with me is most likely going to die and most likely going to die in an agonizing way and live a life of tremendous hardship. But can you do that for the glory of God and for the sake of the eternal state of those that she would impact uh, with the message of Christ? And thankfully, the dad said, well, it's up to her. (laughs) He didn't say no, and he didn't exactly (laughs) say yes. So he left it up to her, and of course... Uh there's a neat letter that she wrote to one of her friends indicating really there's nothing else I can do. Yeah, um, but for the glory of God, enter marriage and go give our lives for the gospel. Mm-hmm. So so they did. Um, and I won't I won't go through all the details, but they left on this journey. Um, it's about a hundred and fourteen day boat journey okay. from the northeast United States um with a with a stop for a couple of months in India. Um where uh they met William Carey uh and were actually baptized as baptists they yeah. they came he came to the conviction that um infant baptism wasn't um biblical and so William Carey who was a baptist uh actually baptized them and they continued on then to mm-hmm. Burma and, and arrived there in 1813 and uh, again like I said spent uh until his death in 1850 yeah, um, trying to minister to the people of of Burma. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you. So you mentioned he had that was his f- first wife that he wrote that letter to. How right. many wives did he end up having?
1: Three, three.
0: So and he wasn't a polygamist. No, <laughs> yeah. not at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to make that <laughs> clear. Yeah. So
1: so here's here's the overall gist of his family. Yeah. Okay. So he was married three times. Uh, two of his wives died during his lifetime. His third wife, uh, that he was married to when he died, uh, died a couple of months after he did, mm-hmm. um, herself in in Burma. Um, between his three wives, um, they had thirteen children, wow. uh, and seven of them died. Wow. So, <laughs> so when he talked to his father in law about the degradations of life and the you know, the climate of, you know, Southeast India and, yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, he wasn't joking. Yeah. Um, death took a toll on on Aram's life from the beginning. He was happily married to, um, to Anne, his first wife, for a number of years. They had three children, one who died uh, stillborn, another who made it about a year or so, and they had all their hopes and dreams wrapped up in this child, and then the Lord took that child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another child that made it about... Uh, not too much older, and also passed away. Um, interestingly, so to kind of give a little bit of story, um, during his time with his first wife, I think they were married I think about 13 years or so, God gave them. From the time they arrived in Burma in 1813, they didn't see their first convert baptized until seven years later, mm-hmm. just one person, and... It was a long, hard slog. He was working hard to, to translate the Bible into the Burmese language, which he eventually did after after his first wife, um, or about the time that she passed away. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they worked hard and tried to tried to see tried to share. They gave pamphlets pamphlets out in the people's language mm-hmm. of the gospel, and they gave thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Um, there were stories that uh, there were some days when one or two thousand people would stop by their hut hmm. and ask for the words, give us the words that help us know not how to die. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and so they they would give the stuff out, and then he would try to preach and and so forth. Uh, at some point then, uh, the, a war broke out. There was the War of 1812 happening in the United States, um, and then... There was the Anglo-Indian War, I believe it was called, happening in their region, and American and British troops invaded Burma, and he was lumped in, Adoniram was lumped in as a spy and a traitor to the Burmese people and was imprisoned oh, okay. um, and uh, for 18 months oh. total. Um, it's told that in the cell that he and a number of other uh, prisoners were in, every night the uh, Jailers would come in with a long bamboo pole, tie their feet to the pole, and then raise the pole up off the ground high enough so just their shoulders and their head were resting on the ground, and their feet were you know tied to a pole above their heads. And that's how they spent every single night uh, for months and months and months. Starved, beaten, um, away from his wife. She knew he was in prison and where he was. Uh, it took her a while to be able to for Anne to come and and even be able to see him, but eventually she did. During that time, she gave birth to their third child, yeah. and she became so sick that her, talks about her milk drying up, and so the jailers did allow her to come with the baby and stay in jail herself while Adoniram was released temporarily to go into the villages and try to find women who could nurse their mm-hmm. their child. Wow. Uh, just a crazy amount of suffering and yeah. sacrifice that they were enduring uh, at all times um he was released at some you know at some point actually they he was released because the government said we need someone to help us translate uh some stuff into english and so they gave him a job essentially he was living in another town um after his release and ann was and her child their child were living in another town and didn't see each other for quite a while uh, until one day he got noticed that their child was sick and he was concerned obviously uh, and then a few weeks later, got another note delivered to him in uh, envelope with a black seal on it, and he thought for sure this was notification that his child had died. He opened it up, and to his shock, uh, learned that it wasn't his child that died; it was actually Anne, his mm-hmm. wife, had passed away a month earlier. Mm-hmm. So he's reading these words, realizing um, a month earlier she had died. Mm-hmm. So he went to where she was buried uh, to to reclaim his child. And a month later, the ch- their third child died right. as well. So, at this point in his ministry, had a few converts, three dead children, a dead wife, and he went into a spiritual depression. Uh, it was understandable, sure, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, yet he went he went into a super dark place. It it said he built a at one point he built a hut way off in the in the jungle, kind of excluded himself from the rest of the people that were around. He even at one point dug a grave for himself, and expecting that at any point he would probably die next, and he would sit for sometimes hours a day next to the grave contemplating his own mortality and why God was allowing these things to happen. Um, he ordered all of his letters and books that he had sent back to the United States to be burned by them because he just didn't want any memory of of some of these past events that were so hurtful. yeah. And he just really went through several years of just, I mean, utter depression, yeah. spiritual um, darkness. And yet there was a lingering ray of hope in his, in his life. Um, and he ended up meeting this other widow, widower, I should say, or widow, uh, whose husband had been a missionary. He had died and he thought, well, she's wanting to bring the gospel I want to bring the gospel. Why don't we do this thing together? And sure enough, just as he did with Anne the first time, one month after he met her, they got married. Yeah. Um, they had, I think, eight children together, <laughs> uh, a number of which yeah. ended up dying and so forth. When she got sick enough to the point that um, she needed to be shipped out to uh, – you know, to, to to get to recoup in the West. He got on a boat with her um, to head back to the United States. She actually died on the way back to the United States. Uh-huh. They stopped long enough on the off the coast of some island to bury her in the sand and then continued on to the United States uh, where Adoniram spent some time uh, recuperating. And this is 33 years after he first left the United States. So a lot had transpired um, in that time, and the Lord had begun to to show a lot more fruit. Converts coming, churches kind of starting out, people understanding and having the Bible um, taught to them and so forth. So there was fruit happening, but still a lot of suffering. Uh, He came back to to Burma, uh, I think probably with a year or so later, um, after having taken a little break because um, he just longed to be with the Burmese people to bring the gospel to him. That was his call in life, and he didn't want to tarry anymore in the United States. So he came back, uh, long story short, met his third wife, uh, who was an exuberant, uh, somewhat famous author um, in her day, okay. was well-known, but had a passion for the Lord and had a passion to for the gospel. So they got married and had some wonderful uh, four years together um, until... It was in April 12th, 1850. Um, well, in, in that spring, he had become really, really sick himself and, and really was on death's door. And it was decided that they would put him back on a boat in, in that spring of 1850 and send him back to the West to, to try to you know find some healing uh, for his body. Well, they got a couple hundred miles off the coast uh, of Burma, and he passed away on April 12th, 1850. At the age of sixty-one, okay, and uh, and was buried at sea. They dumped his body, and and I was uh, as I was rehearsing the the subject here. It's interesting that he was. They marked the location, the latitude and longitude of where where they dumped his body um, into the ocean, and it was just off the coast of the Andaman Islands mm-hmm. uh, in the Indian Ocean. Interesting connection is that just this last fall, John Chow, an American missionary, uh, was trying to reach the people of the Andaman <laughs> Islands <laughs> where he was killed uh, on the shores of that uh, island. That's just interesting. Here's a man that that was longing to take the gospel to a group of people, is buried there, and here, a couple centuries, on, almost a couple centuries later, yeah. another who was longing to bring the gospel to an unreached people, um, gave his life for Christ there. Yeah. so obviously no tremendous spiritual connection there, but it's just interesting that that two men um, were buried in the same place for the yeah. same purpose yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, that's an amazing life of just suffering I mean he he went through a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he was continually steadfast. I mean, there was that there was that season after his first wife died, where he went through, you know, some serious spiritual depression. But yet, there is this steadfastness, this zeal, this passion to bring Christ to this people group.
1: It's interesting. There, there's uh, uh, part of the biography that I was reading just to to rehearse some of this. He got after he went through his real spiritual darkness. He came to a point where he expected suffering. Mm-hmm. Um but not but not in a morbid sense like oh woe is me sure. i'm suffering sure. I mean I think he went through a period of that but when he came out of that and was married again um the biographies this one biographer talks about the fact that his sufferings disengaged him from hoping too much in this world In other words he he realized at some point you know what really my citizenship and my hope are not found here, in this world. So even if my life were to cost everything mm-hmm. to bring the gospel to these people, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he essentially was like, yeah, I'm going to suffer, but that's part of the deal. That's to be expected, and that's okay, yeah. because my eternal home... And so he he did write a lot in his letters, and Anne wrote biographies about him, and so forth, that, that spoke of his continuous joy in the eternity that was to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that even though he had to go through a dark period, he got to the place where he was like, yeah, it's okay. You know, I shouldn't be surprised of, at suffering. In fact, the Bible over and over and over again promises suffering for those who would want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. They will suffer. Mm-hmm. They And not only direct proclamation of that in the New Testament but example after example after example of that in the people of God in the New Testament mm-hmm. and so Adam and I got to a place where he's like yeah, what else would I expect
0: yeah
1: you know um, yeah. there's a lyric of a of a song that Amy and I had sung in our wedding that says it's it's a prayer for your future children mm-hmm. essentially and it says one line says may you live your lives to die for the gospel
0: mm-hmm.
1: and really that to, to live for the gospel is to lay your, si- lay your life aside in order to see it take root in someone else. In fact, um, the New Testament uh, talks about, you know, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it won't bear any fruit. Yeah. And that's kind of how Judson viewed his life. I'm a seed being thrown into the soil and dying. Yeah. In the, the in the soil of this Burmese uh, population, and I'm going to die, but the Lord will take that dying seed and cause it to sprout into fruit, which, like we said, is now millions of people who have put their faith in Christ yeah. on the foundation of the gospel that Adoniram and a few others brought to them yeah. 175 years earlier. Yeah. Pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah. So Rick, why would you why would you recommend people to read about church history?
1: Well, I don't know who it was, Winston Churchill or somebody, <laughs> said if you know if we if we don't understand history, we're doomed to repeat it. Sure, yeah. Um, and there's I think there's some some truth to that in spiritual context, but really, um, we need to look back to what God has done and see that He's been doing that. From the beginning of the church, so we're not really doing anything new, but we, but we need to look back to see the examples of those that were faithful, mm-hmm. and our methodology might be different today, but we need to capture the heart of what God was doing in the hearts of of those people throughout the ages, um, and even to this day, who are taking the gospel uh, to to unreached yeah. peoples. We, you and I, have friends. Who are intentionally even today, this day, are across the world, trying to bring the gospel to a people who have not received it before, yeah. Yeah. and they're doing the same kind of work that Adoniram Judson was doing yeah. in the 1850s that um, that many missionaries have done since and are doing now. So we've got to look back, um, and I think it's inspiring to read history, especially Christian history. Yeah. That's really the point. I would commend uh, a book about Adam Aram Judson um, called To the Golden Shore. Um, it's by Courtney Anderson. And actually, it's kind of out of print, but sometimes it comes back in, and if you're lucky, you can find it on Amazon or other places. But it's called To the Golden Shore, and it's a, it's a wonderful biography of him. But I love Christian biography for that reason, because it gives me a different perspective on my life and a different perspective on my priorities, what I need to be about. Um, and as, as that passage in Romans 10 talks about, how will, how will they hear mm-hmm. unless someone goes? Mm-hmm. How will someone go unless they're sent? You know, they, Someone's got to preach to these people. And it may not be me that goes overseas to the unreached people, but if it isn't me, I'd, I better be sure that I'm supposed to be here for a good reason and I'm multiplying yeah. the purposes here for a yeah. good reason. Or, and, or that I'm supporting those as best I can that are going, yeah. that are doing that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't just sit on the fence and say, well, God bless them as they go. I need to be a part of their support. And I also need to be a part of bringing the gospel to bear to the people where I live. Yeah. Um, I've got to, in other words, I've got to open my mouth and preach somewhere. Yeah. And it better be here or it better be somewhere where the people haven't heard. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, encouraging because we do deal with people on a daily basis who are just as lost as people across the world. And so we have this opportunity to do, quote unquote, frontline missions to the people here in Yakima that need to hear the gospel. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> like, you, you say the word frontline missions, think about it. That you're either in Christ or you're not. That's the line. Yeah. So frontline means someone is across the line on the other side from me, away from the presence of God because they haven't trusted Christ. Yeah. That's frontline yeah. missions. Um, so all of us that claim Christ had better be a part of that one way or another. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that sometimes reading these guys or about these guys or these ladies that have taken it really to the unreached where there has been no access to the gospel sure. um, and still needs to be because um, we draw inspiration from it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's critical not to forget what it is that they did. And it isn't, a, it isn't about Adoniram Judson. And how wonderful he was and how altogether he had it. The dude really had a lot of struggles yeah. and did and probably did a lot of things wrong, you know, in his approach. Yet he was he gave himself to the Lord to say, Lord, whatever it is I have, as imperfect as it is, would you take it and multiply it? And like we said, most of these missionaries that that, that we talk about, or these heroes of the faith, didn't live to see the fruit that came as a result yeah. of their work. So it really has to be about God's faithfulness yeah. to His own Word and to the Gospel, um, to make disciples of all the nations. Now He happens to use us as a means to yeah. accomplish His goals, but but He's the one accomplishing the work, yeah. not us. And um, so, yeah, to, to read these guys and not to elevate them as as superheroes or super, you know, superhuman in some way. Right. You no, know, very human, yeah. very fallible. Um, As are we. Yet God can use them. God can use us.
0: Well, thank you, Rick, for joining us this morning and and talking about uh, Adoniram Judson. My pleasure. Very encouraging. Well, friends, we hope that you have have been encouraged through this four-part series on historical figures in the church. Uh, We pray that you would uh, go forth with the gospel today to share it with your friends, families, and loved ones. We hope you have a great day. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley.